Henry Grady brought Ivan Allen Sr. here. Grady, the late editor of the Atlanta Constitution, an eminent New South spokesman, had led to Atlanta, virtually by the hand, thousands of white Southerners. He promised a golden tomorrow. In December 1886, the month after the Statue of Liberty opened in New York, Grady told the New England Society in New York and its guest, retired General William T. Sherman, from the ashes he left us in 1864, we have raised a brave and beautiful city. Somehow or other, we have caught the sunshine in the bricks and mortar of our homes and have builded therein not one ignoble prejudice or memory. Welcome to the Atlanta Legacy Makers Podcast. I'm Floyd Hall in downtown Atlanta at 72 Marietta Street. This is episode two of the podcast, and this corresponds to part two of the Gary M. Pomerantz book, Where Peachtree Meets Sweet Auburn, A Saga of Race and Family. Part two is entitled, The Patriarchs Arrive. Now, you heard Gary at the very beginning of this episode reciting a portion of the book from this part of the book. And we'll also be hearing more from Gary as he gives us more backstory on what it was like to write Where Peachtree Meets Sweet Auburn. And after that, we get to hear some perspective on the book from Alex Acosta, co-founder and executive director of Soul Food Cipher, about the power of words. Yes, the power of words. All of this relates to why I'm here now at 72 Marietta Street. This is currently a city of Atlanta building, but once upon a time, this was the Atlanta Journal-Constitution building. And directly in front of me, about 75 yards away at the intersection of Forsyth Street and Marietta Street is the statue of Henry Grady, the famous editor of the Atlanta Constitution, an orator, and one of the most uh, famous and preeminent Atlanta boosters of his day. He definitely illustrated the power of words to shape culture, and he plays a bit of a role in this part of where Peachtree meets Sweet Auburn. Let's hear from Gary. I wanted to know if you could give a sense of uh, the importance of the newspaper men in in Atlanta from Henry Grady uh, on forward? Well, remember, there's more than one paper. The Atlanta Journal and the Atlanta Constitution were separate papers, you know, deep into the history of both papers. They merged uh, in a joint operating agreement. There's also the Atlanta Daily World, uh, a black interest newspaper uh, published on Auburn Avenue by the Scott family. And and so, um, you know, as I got into the history of the city, you know, I spent a lot of time on the microfilm readers uh, reading the different coverage of the events. The newspapers didn't always have a favorable effect on the city. 
the worst of it was the 1906 Atlanta race riot, where uh, the white newspapers were publishing exaggerated stories, lies, about black men raping white women. And all of a sudden, you have white mobs uh, controlling the streets in downtown Atlanta, uh, killing a number of African Americans. Without question, the worst moment in the history of race relations uh, in Atlanta. Um, what I found is when Ivan Allen was mayor of Atlanta during the 1960s, uh, he had friendships with the newspapers. He sought the counsel frequently of Eugene Patterson, an, an editor and an op-ed page columnist for the Constitution. It was a sense of the paper rooting the Constitution in particular, rooting for Mayor Allen, helping Mayor Allen. That same paper was not as kind to Maynard Jackson when he was elected mayor the first time in 1973, because um, Maynard Jackson was not a gradualist. He was going to right the wrongs of racial history in Atlanta right away. And by that, I mean, he wanted African-Americans to uh, get a greater piece of the economic pie. He established a goal of 25% minority involvement in all municipal contracts. And white business leaders didn't like that. They didn't like it at all. Uh, you know, and it was as if when my, Ivan Allen was mayor, he was speaking for the moment. When Maynard Jackson was mayor, he was speaking for all of history. And uh, it was that grinding period in the 70s when Maynard Jackson was going to get what he thought was right. He had the force of morality on his side, certainly. Uh, economics, as, as the pragmatists on the white business side of town, not not so much maybe to them so so the papers play an important role in uh in in the in what happens in atlanta's history i can tell you that uh my friend cynthia tucker i worked with cynthia on the editorial board she was a pulitzer prize winning uh, uh editorial page editor for the atlanta constitution after my book came out uh, and she had read it, we had a long conversation. And she had been very critical of Maynard, particularly in his third term. She thought he was sort of, uh, well, grandstanding quite a bit. Uh, and she said, now that I understand his family history, I understand him better, and I might have written things a little bit differently. Look, this is part of the reason why I took on Atlanta in book form. I really wanted to get at the deeper truths of this city. You know, I came here from another place to Atlanta and, and I saw the iconography across town on the, you know, in front of the state house, the agrarian rebel, Tom Watson, a racist for sure. Uh, and in front of the federal courthouse, Richard B. Russell, the Georgia Senator who at every turn fought the advances of the civil rights movement. And then on Auburn Avenue, the beautiful epitaph on Dr. King's crypt, free at last. For me, it resonated. 
and I wanted to go get it. I wanted to find the deeper truths. And I found them, I think, in these families, the Dobbs and the Allens. Thank you to Gary M. Pomerantz. Gary is in California these days. Gary is a lecturer at Stanford University in the graduate program in journalism. And we thank Gary for his generous time on this podcast. Shifting gears ever so slightly, when I think about how words can move a crowd, I think about the influence of a hip hop MC. And when I think about the organizations that are keeping the power of words and the hip hop tradition alive in Atlanta, I think about Soul Food Cypher. So I'm pleased to have some time with Soul Food Cypher co-founder and executive director Alex Acosta to talk about where Peastry meets Sweet Auburn. So my name is Alexander Acosta, but in the hip hop community, I'm known as Cost One. Um, and I am the executive director and co-founder of Soul Food Cypher. And uh, Soul Food Cypher is a community arts uh, nonprofit that utilizes freestyle to transform individuals and communities. Uh, we believe in the power of speech to do so. And one of the best ways to do so is through freestyle rap. Uh, we've been around for about eight years, and these eight years, uh, we've grown into an organization um, that utilizes the platform of a cipher uh, to, to do this transformative work. Um, a cipher is a circle in which art takes place. It's a place uh, in which you can see the ingenuity of improvisation. Um, a lot of times people first come across ciphers either through drum circles or they see it through break, break dancers taking turns competing. Um, what we do with the cipher is we host freestyle ciphers. So our freestyle ciphers are a place where MCs can come together in a circle and be able to present and share their experiences. And what I really love about the cipher is it's really one of like the most democratic places. Um, it's a place where everybody is eye level. Um, there is no hierarchy within the cipher. Um, everybody is respected. You know, in this time um, in which we're all engaged in social media, um, where everybody's attention um, can be in multiple places. <laughs> Um, the cipher is a place in which you give the undivided attention to the person speaking. And there's a power to that, to be heard, then also to listen as well. Um, and this tradition stems back uh, to Africa. Um, this tradition uh, of the cipher is something that uh, is an oral tradition and something that uh, is very important and something that we want to continue to uphold. And that's a part of our mission is to be able to pass the tradition down to the next generation. Well, Alex, I feel like that's a great um, segue to talking about where Peachtree meets Sweet Auburn, because I wanted you to be in this conversation with me um, as it relates to this part of the book. This part of the book is entitled The Patriarchs Arrive. It is the shortest part of, of the book. Um, one chapter, uh, chapter four. 
But I do feel like the power of, of words are important when it comes to this chapter. What were some of your initial impressions about um, what's happening in this part of the book? I was really fascinated with the power of words, propaganda, and also the technologies that were used to push them. Um, Ivan Allen came to Atlanta to sell typewriters, and you had Henry Grady, who was the owner of the Atlanta Constitution. And of course, you know, for newspapers, people use typewriters. But again, you know, it's not just the technology itself, but it's the, 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 the usage of the technology to be able to spread a message. And unfortunately, that message um, for Henry Grady was tied to um, continuing uh, white supremacy. Um, that is essentially what his New South platform stood on at its most, you know, um, at its foundation and at its core. Um, but also, you know, what I saw in this chapter too um, was the importance of education. Um, and that was symbolized through um, John Wesley Dobbs' um, attainment of education and, and the power of understanding and reading and being able to construct a new reality um, and that the possibilities were there and, and, and ample for the black community in Atlanta. And, and I saw the, the foundations of an Atlanta that I was born into and I grew up in. So Alex, with that being said, could you maybe highlight one or two passages from this chapter that jumped yeah. out to you and, and, and why they resonated with you? Absolutely. Um, so one passage that really resonated with me um, was talking about the experience of Dobbs, Atlanta, and also Ivan Allen's Atlanta. And I'll read it here. Dobbs saw an Atlanta that Ivan Allen never saw. Most Blacks lived on the east side of town in shanties. Darktown and Niggertown and Shermantown in honor of the Union General, were slang names used by whites for the poor black districts. Nevertheless, Dobbs also discovered black culture and enterprise, black druggists, grocers, undertakers, and educators. The reason that this passage resonated with me was because this passage is still true. Um, Atlanta, by and far, while not segregated in, in, by law, is still largely segregated. I mean, there is largely a black Atlanta and there is a white Atlanta, um, truth be told. Um, and I, 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 again, saw the beginnings of what would become Atlanta that I grew up in, and I saw that even though this there was this separation and that there was um, this delineation, there was still promise in that Atlanta has always had a black middle class or has always had um, black enterprise and has been a, a center for black culture. Um, and it makes the best of the situation. There is a certain sense of optimism. There's a certain sense of um, being able to thrive regardless. 
and that really resonated with me um, and made me proud to 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 say I was born in Atlanta. Um, also, looking at this passage as well as the slang names um, for different areas of Atlanta. Um, you know, I was born on the east side of, of Atlanta. I mean, more specifically, I was born um, in Decatur, but um, I was still born east um, of Atlanta. And I just think about how the slang names have turned into Atlanta zones um, and how black people can reappropriate things and give it completely new life. You know, I just think about in the hip hop community, how we have, you know, the zones which were named after police zones and police zoning. And people take so much pride out of the, the, the zones that they're from. It's taking, taking, creating something out of nothing, you know, and we are reappropriating from the harshest conditions um, and making the most and creating value from that. So um, this passage really resonated with me and highlighted that. Is there uh, one more? Yeah. Um, towards the end of the chapter, like virtually all rural Southerners, rushing into the city, Ivan Allen and John Wesley Dobbs saw in Atlanta their own family hardships transformed into hope, a ruined city burned to the ground, now rebuilding, robust and alive. This really resonated with me. Um, because Atlanta was a symbol of hope, regardless of color. And I think that was very rare. Um, and I think that there was a certain opportunity because Atlanta was raised, because Atlanta um, was a ruined city. Um, I think for white Southerners at the time, um, they knew the importance of, of Atlanta prior and because of its location, because of, 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 of its importance, they were able to, to, to regrow it, but knew that they had to compete in a very different way. They were going from an agricultural economy uh, to competing into an industrial economy. Um, but Blacks saw opportunity as well um, so that you have actually two cities being built within one. Again, Atlanta's not a singular destination. You actually see the foundations of Atlanta being the psychotomy. You have the foundations of, of Atlanta being a, a, a symbol of hope and prosperity, but perhaps spoken in different languages. Kind of going back to where we started and thinking about Henry Grady and the um, the Constitution, the Atlanta Constitution um, that he was the editor of, or think about the AJC now. We think about yeah. the power of of newspapers as yeah. platforms for 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 information. Um, I think about hip hop also. Again, 
as a platform for information and MCs being the reporters when it comes to that particular um, uh, industry or, or craft. Right. Um, yeah. So I would, I would just love for you to maybe, you know, extend that um, and give me any, any thoughts you have on, on, I guess just sort of connecting what we know about uh, the power of, of the written word of, you know, newspapers and reporters. And I guess tying that to the, you know, the power of, of, of hip hop as a place for words and ideas and information as well. And I guess, and maybe not to have you speak for all of Atlanta hip hop, but I think that um, Atlanta has become a magnet for hip hop over the last 20, 25 years. Um, right around the time that this book came out um, almost 25 years ago. And since then, I guess I'm just thinking, you know, broader about how information gets disseminated and uh, would love your thoughts on any of that. So I want to highlight two uh, technologies that were invented in the 1800s, and that was the typewriter and also the phonograph. Um, of course, the typewriter came out before, um, and the typewriter was definitely used by Henry Grady, Atlanta Constitution, to be able to disseminate uh, the ideas in the New South, and especially around that time, um, this is during Reconstruction, but you know, unfortunately, it led to Jim Crow um, right afterwards. Um, so a lot of that propaganda was perpetrated through um, the press. Uh, it was perpetrated throughout the written word. But with the invention of the phonograph, you started to actually hear the voices of the South through blues, through spirituals that were recorded. And within this, there's a narrative that you can hear in the blues, although it might be esoteric, it might have been hidden. There's messages that, that come out in the music. So there is a separate narrative that can be heard through the means of uh, recordings and distribution that speaks against what was being printed in the typewriter um, or through printed presses, through newspapers. And I think there's a certain certain um, beauty that lives within these old traditions that, you know, continue to find themselves um, powerful and find themselves to, to be able to either synchronize, but yet still be able to bring forth change. Alex, uh, as we wrap up, you know, we've talked about the written word and the spoken word, but all in all in all the power of words in our society. And I guess as we reflect on uh, where Peachtree meets Sweet Auburn and Atlanta and the Allens and the Dobbses, and um, do you have any final thoughts just as we reflect on this part of the book, and I guess where we are in this narrative at this point in the book, but just thinking about uh, how this book is helping helping you uh, rethink how you see Atlanta. Any thoughts on that? This book is starting to give me more context to the names that I see as I drive through the city. Um, it gives me more context of the intersectionality of past and present as these names sometimes collide um, or meet. So I just find it interesting that 
we're at a at a crossroads. But that crossroads is not so much different than the crossroads of our ancestors. Um, and I take lessons um, from this, from their experiences. Um, and I find that, again, Atlanta is not a single destination. Um, and it has a potential to go down any path at the intersection of crossroads that we're in. And it's up to us to define and use our words to be able to shape not only the narrative of what Atlanta is, but shape the Atlanta we want to be and what Atlanta can be. And I think that's 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 the job of artists. I think that's the job of civic institutions. I think that's the the job of all Atlantans. Um, and I think that we all agree Atlanta is a better Atlanta in which we all are a part of. Um, and not one that is divided. So um, that's what I take from this. Alex, um, really quickly, let everyone know how, how they can find out more about Soul Food Cipher. Yeah, no doubt. You can visit us um, at soulfoodcipher.com or you can visit us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Soul Food Cipher. And that's spelled S O U L F O O D C Y P H E R. And you definitely get some food for your soul. Alex. Thank you. I appreciate this. No doubt, man. I appreciate you for having me. Thank you to Alex Acosta, co-founder and executive director of Soul Food Cipher. I hope you all enjoyed this episode of the Atlanta Legacy Makers podcast, and I hope you all are enjoying the book Where Peastree Meets Sweet Auburn. Part two is now in the books, pun intended. And next up is part three entitled New South Capital. So let's keep reading and we'll talk about it in the next episode. Until then, I'm Floyd Hall and forever I love Atlanta. Atlanta Legacy Makers is an initiative led by Central Atlanta Progress and the City of Atlanta. Special thanks to author Gary M. Pomerantz, lecturer at Stanford University in the graduate program in journalism. We heard Gary at the very beginning of this episode talking about some of the backstory of writing where Peachtree meets Sweet Auburn. And we're thankful and thrilled to have Gary's perspective throughout this project. Special thanks to our amazing partners, Atlanta Downtown Improvement District, Atlanta Public Schools, Constellations, Gene Kansas Commercial Real Estate, the Ivan Allen College of Liberal Arts at Georgia Tech, One Atlanta, and 
supporter report. Atlanta Legacy Makers is hosted and produced by Floyd Hall. That's me. Music by Smith and Cash. Last but not least, thank you, Atlanta. <laughs>